Hello and welcome to Africans Corporate Heart Talk. I am Abdusala and here with me I have my co-host Rebecca. Hi Rebecca. Hi Abdusala, how are you? Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of Corporate Heart Talk Africa with me Abisola and of course Rebecca. Rebecca's not here today guys I'm so sorry uh, I, I can't find her we need to look for her hashtag look for Rebecca everyone but hey how are you all doing I hope you're doing really well um you know how we do it on here and definitely I must tell you what's going on on my side of things so the the, the sun um is out in the UK so everyone is out having fun. I didn't go out that much because I'm being a good citizen. I didn't want to catch the Rona. So I'm staying in my house, just doing the bits that I can do. But things are picking up. We, we you know, they're releasing us slowly but surely. But with the date that we're all looking forward to is the 21st of June, because that's when all the lockdown restrictions and rules will be, will be out of the window, hopefully. Um, vaccinations are on the way. A lot of people I know, they've had their second doses. And I think we're all just we're just trying to get back into the swing of things. One of the things I wanted to talk about actually was fatigue. You know, a lot of people are feeling a bit tired and fed up of just, you know, everyday working and so on. And I'm feeling like that as well. Sometimes I can't even type anymore. I'm just like, oh, I've had enough. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm great. Uh, I'm so excited for my guest today. And Guys, this we have our first female guest. Yay! <laughs> because you know we've had um we've had male ones and now we have our first female guest. And um, I'm looking forward to chatting to them and just having fun. Hope you guys are enjoying the episode. Uh, if you are, if you do listen, please mess message us, let us know your feedback. What type of guests would you like us to bring on? Because we can only sit down and think about what we feel we need. But one thing that I really want you guys to know is our guests are coming from different parts of um, Africa. So today my guest is all the way from Ghana. Like I've never been to Ghana and my dad has been to Ghana. A lot of people I know have been to Ghana and they say, oh my God, you've got to go to Ghana. You've got to go and have this shito and all these peanut soup. And I've never had that before. So one day I will. So on this episode of Corporate Heart Talk, please welcome my guest, Anita Weafe Asino. Anita, Yay. <laughs> You've tried. Welcome, Anita. How are you? I'm very fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, like I was just saying, you're our first female. Um, yeah. So thank you for Yay. bringing your black girl <laughs> magic to, onto the floor today. I'm really excited. Uh, so before we get into our conversation, Anita, how has the pandemic been for you? How has it been in Ghana? Like, have you guys been on a strict lockdown as well? Or? You just um it's uh I, I, it's I, I guess the um a similar experience I mean last year was intense about this time when we were quite early in the pandemic with lockdowns and quite um restrictive uh, rules and things but we've been quite lucky in Africa we've not had it as you know terrible as it's happened in the in the developed nation or other countries. So um yes, there's been restrictions, but um it's it's not been too bad. But the point is, even though we we are we haven't been on lockdowns um and stuff, even though things are open, people are still yeah. not really moving 
the way that they would. We're still all very much observing, you know, um, the protocols, only going out when you have to and things like that. And actually, since March last year at um, my company, we've been working from home. But recently we've been doing a hybrid where we spent some time at the office and then work from home. So it's it's a bit of a roller coaster, yeah. I'd say yeah. I feel like you're being modest there because listen, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> Everyone from Nigeria and Ghana and are not social distancing, they're partying. I mean, some people, you know, it's not easy, you know, um, and then also insofar as it's, we, we're having cases, we've, we, they know that we're not having it in that extreme sense. So people just get, you know, people just get fed up and then they, they kind of misbehave. But so we've had, yes, we have got deviants, but generally, um, you know, places, I've, I think one of the things I've been impressed with in Ghana is the fact that the key places like um, supermarkets, restaurants and, you know, certain places, they're just not having it. You know, you've got to wear your mask, you've got to wash your hands mm. um, and they've maintained it throughout this last 12 months. So that's been positive. But yes, of course, you have your deviance, you can't control it. But at the same yeah. time, people are careful. You know, they're not just carelessly it's out there. But then there are people who don't also actually even believe there's a virus. And yeah, like, I one. think but it's not, generally... The yeah. vast majority are kind of, you know, well, those of us we've, we've sent. <laughs> no, do you know what? For me, I actually have an argument for it. I don't even think it's like they've been deviant. I think it's just the, the African attitude. And also it's just that, well, we dealt with Ebola. What is Corona to us? Like, I can't even begin to share the, the, the jokes or the things that even people that I know in Nigeria would tell me and say, oh, what's Corona? I'm getting out, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> attitude. So I just hope that we just keep taking this seriously because it's not a joke. These numbers are not lies and so on. And and what about the vaccination? Is, has that been rolled out in Ghana? Yes, it's been rolled out. I've actually had my first one due to have my second one. Um, I think it was the next week, actually, or the week after. No, 30th. Which one yeah. did you have? The uh, the first though the as the AstraZeneca. That oh one. yeah, yeah, AstraZeneca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and it was fine, but people are you know it's the same um, resistance and uh, reluctancy to have the vaccine here. A lot of people are not having the vaccine. Some people are. Um, it's the same scenario. Um, but and I think a lot of it again is because we we're not having the same experience. Mm. In terms of numbers, so people just think, you know, like I'll just ride it out. But yeah, we've we've it's 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 been rolled out. But I know a lot of people just have not been responsive to it. Mm. Um, but I think as time goes on, um, and it becomes a requirement because I know everyone, you know, all the countries are trying to use vaccine to take control. And if it doesn't, they can't. I'm sure they're going to make it more more difficult to force more people yeah. to kind of uh, take the vaccine. Okay. Yeah, we've we've rolled it out here. Yeah. So once again, welcome to Corporate Heart of Africa, and um, please just officially introduce yourself um, and tell us what you do. Okay, fantastic. So I'm Anita Anitemiafi Esino. And um, I'm the CEO of OML Africa. OML Africa is an international human capital management consultancy based in Ghana, um, working in other parts of the African continent with a presence in the UK where we also cover Europe. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm an entrepreneur outside of the consultancy 
Um, I also do have other businesses in the retail space. I've been moving into the e-commerce space quite a bit. Um, I'm actually aspiring to be a serial entrepreneur. So, um, yeah, so that's that's really what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So I do love all things, uh, all things business. Um, I'm also a mom and a wife, a sister, um, a daughter and a friend and all those other things as well. And uh, which which I also enjoy that kind of keeps me grounded um, in all the things that I'm that I'm involved in. Okay. Um, that's pretty much in a simple term. Okay, so, so you're a mom, mom of how many? Mom of two. I have two girls. Two girls. I have two girls. Uh, my eldest is at uni in the UK now at, at Derby, and then I have a toddler. She's three. She's going to be four in September. So she keeps me very busy. I, 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 okay, I've only got one. She's, she's just five. But yeah, we look. I, I I like that. I love when people talk about their personal lives as well because sometimes, actually, I, I'll tell you the story. Um, when I first had my daughter, just about corporate world as well. When I first had my daughter, I I was saying to recruiters that I didn't have a child. <laughs> I was like, so tell us about your family. I said, yeah, just me and my husband. That you don't know. And at this point, my daughter was five months old. Because I was just, you know, when you first have a baby, you're just, you're just in this vulnerable state where you feel like your life had come. Well, that's how I feel. I feel like my life had come to <laughs> end. My dreams were never going to happen. But that's all BS. If you're a mom, that's even more reason why you're going to do more because you just want your children to see you as a superhero. <laughs> mm. But yeah. Okay, so... What we love to do on here is to understand, um, you know, people's early days. So what were your early days like? Okay, so I was born in Ghana. Mm -hmm. I was born in Ghana. Um, I left Ghana at the age of nine. In fact, my parents broke up at an early age, when I was at an early age. But they were the best of friends. You wouldn't even know they were broken up if you had met them. Um, and my mom went to the UK. So for about three years, we stayed with my grandparents. And then, of course, my dad was in Ghana. So she, he was also taking care of us. And then my mom came for us. So when I left Ghana, I was about nine uh, and went to the UK. So I did a lot of my growing up um, in the UK, really, and not in Ghana. But for the early days that I was in Ghana, I loved it. My grandparents were very strong positive influence on me they were like entrepreneurs they had like shops in um in Accra Katamantu I don't know if you, you know that it's the central of uh, of of uh store you know trading um and then so I saw them you know into trade into into business and I I used to go there and I, I enjoyed that a lot mm. and even used to be sent out to sell stuff so they had that that I think that entrepreneurs come from there and also my dad um he had a clinic he was a doctor um of his own and things like that so in early stage I kind of had this influence of entrepreneurship and you know kind of being encouraged you know to to be the best that you can so that, that those early days were, were good learn to cook and all of those kind of things that you do in the um in the African home and then I went to the UK. Um, I was nine. I, I, I could barely speak English. Um, it was a complete culture shock. And I had to kind of adjust. I remember in the early days, one of the things I struggled with um, outside of the English was kind of as time went on, you're kind of learning. But I, I struggled with things like jokes. 
you know, yep, like yep, yep. <laughs> when people tell jokes, I'll be asking them, what do you to, mean to explain or what do you mean? Or I wouldn't get it. So for a long time, you know, you're having jokes at your expense and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then when I went to school, I kind of, in the early days, I didn't really understand because I didn't really have the English and understand the culture. But, you know, I did face kind of early racism at school in the primary, which was which was quite um, a challenge. But then once I got to understand, you kind of learn how to deal with it yeah. um, and things like that. Because my mum lived outside of London. I didn't grow up in London. So, you know, there was yeah. not many black people in those areas. And even in the What school. area was this? This was Hertfordshire. Oh, Hertfordshire. I didn't know them. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think if I remember back, if you add all the Indian and Chinese, all the other ethnic, we were probably about fifteen in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you if you did, if you separated, then maybe the blacks were probably about maybe four or something, you know. So yeah, yeah. Um, that was a bit of a shock, but um, you know, you learn. It was to always handle. stand out, stand out like mm-hmm. a sore thumb because that was similar to my experiences actually. So I I, I can really relate to what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, so um, those are my early days. But I remember, though, that even with all of that, I know that from the very early age, my thought process had always been, and I grew up with it, that I was going to learn all I can and every skill and everything. And then I was going to come back to Ghana and I was going to make Ghana even better than um, the UK. That was just your, your childish thought. But that's that, that's always been it. It's always been that, you know, I was going to return back to the continent. I don't know. I guess in the early days, there was a lot of influence, um, you know, as young as I was when I left. Mm. Um, and it just kind of stayed. So it's it's it has been great to actually have actually been able to kind of realise that. Yeah. Mm, okay. I can relate with that because I remember one time when I came as well into the UK, I used to cry. So maybe I'm crying and in that moment someone would give me a tissue but I didn't understand it I just thought why are you why are you not cuddling me why are you not you know you know like it's, it's normal mm. people don't cry just hand them a tissue and I remember just feeling like, <laughs> like crying back home it could be what's wrong what happened to you but people were not saying that they'll just hand you a tissue I was, like, I was just looking at them like what are you doing mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> So yeah, um, yeah, and of course we. I was that time when I came was in the nineties and ni- late nineties, like nineteen ninety nine, and trust mm. me, there was still racism then. Like people, yeah. our neighbors yeah. were spit on our doors, all sorts of things. I can't even. I don't want to go into. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it was quite a. It was quite um, strange in the first primary school that I went to. I couldn't really speak English and you know so I wasn't really understanding it It was when I moved my mom moved to um another job and we moved house into a article to a different school that's when I kind of by then I've kind of got better get on better with my English and kind of understood um if, a, a lot more and that's when like I knew that oh, okay so you know this is this how it is and I had very good friends as well who were not like that but um, you know, it, it's striking because you asked what were your early days, and those those were some of the markings, uh, the markings of that. But um, and you know, and it was it was quite a journey, and of course, being somebody who is not a tail, who's a head, and somebody who, you know, will stick up for themselves because obviously I, I I'm quite an independent person. I had to learn to be that from quite a young age. 
once you understood, you're not just going to take it, you know, so you fight back and you get in, into trouble. I remember there was one where the school, I was not the one in the wrong, but it was kind of, there's where, there was where, and as the example of the prejudice, and um, they were like trying to say that I had to be um, suspended or, or, or cool off, as they said, and my mum had been like, well, you know, if you if you make a stay at home, I'm going to go to the newspaper. I'm going to tell them this. And my mom's extra and stuff. And, and they had to they had to retract. And my mom had to explain to them that what kind of an example are you giving um, the the people, who, the perpetrators who are actually being mean and making her her schooling experience negative mm-hmm. when you make her the victim be the be the one to be to stay at home and to like she's the one who's done something wrong you need to address the issue so you know my mom you know she was into social care child protect that kind of thing so she was not going to have it Um, and of course I'm young and I'm thinking please mom no you're just going to make it well I have to go to school you're not going to be in the classroom but do you know what? Shout out to our African mothers that had to come to this country, <laughs> had no Scooby and because some of them were taken advantage of. Some of the things yeah. happened. But shout out to your mom for standing up to them. And I, I've seen my mom done, like my mom's done the same as well. Other of all, my, all our moms have done it, especially yeah. when these people, they really, you know, I'm fighting because these children are being rude to me. They, they, they mimic, they, they're mimicking my hair. They saying things to me that's derogatory. That is why I become a fighter, and now yeah. they've piped down because I'm beating the daylight out of them. <laughs> no, honestly, that, no, it was very, it was quite um, horrible. You know, they do things like fill your bag with sand and pour. You know, in those days, you had kind of like your natural hair. You know, like it's it's stretched and but it's not it's not relaxed. You can imagine getting sand out on your your natural hair, exactly. sand in your bag. You know, um, they'll be drawing things, you know, just it was just really, you know, and of course you're not gonna I had I had I also did have like Caucasian friends who will stick up, but it just it still was just your battle and it just uh, it took a while before I actually told my mom. I think she found some drawing or something in my bag or something and was just like, What is this about? And I you can't really not tell mom when well, she's 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 discovered something, she won't let it go. So you, I just explained and she was like, No, this is not acceptable behavior and this is not you know um right so she yeah. she she picked it up and stuff and um you know so that that was primary school you know at primary school you're not that or you're just like what 10 11 like you're not you're not you know um grown but, um, but when I went to secondary school um that was different because you kind of learned a lot you've toughened up and you learn to build networks in fact building networks started quite early in terms of making sure that you connected with all the other black people, the other ethnic people, yeah. um, making your stands that, you know, I'm not going to be bullied or beat or tolerate any kind of rubbish here. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I had learned the rain like from those experiences. So I actually went through secondary school uh, pretty much. Okay. It was just in my neighborhood that I then was experiencing the rain. But then at that time, like that, those particular individuals, I was obviously going to deal with them and stuff because I'd already experienced it in a younger age. So that those were those early days, those were not um a pleasant experience. But yeah. I, I I say that it kind of toughened and also gave you the reality of what you're going to have to work against. And I also told myself as I grew up that that was not going to define where I want to get to. Like I was not going to say, 
because I'm a black woman, because I'm an African, that I was not never going to accept that. And I never did. And I never will, because that does, that's not, that's not it. That's not what it's about. It was actually, it, so it became like a fuel to make the point that, you know, you're not going to use my, my color, my heritage, which I'm very proud of, um, to hold me back. You know, yeah. what, what did I want to achieve or what that is mine? I will work and I will, I will, I will get it. Okay. And and that's the encouragement yeah. I, I want to I like to try and give people that if you want if you go into a certain consciousness of just kind of constantly focusing on what is being um, communicated to keep you down, you eventually realize that your subconscious keeps you down, whether you think you're consciously in control or not. You have to consciously and deliberately um, push it out, and but that way you do that is to act in it, is to live it. So that's what I did. Um, yeah. And, and that's it. So I, you know, I am very aware of racism. I mean, you know, some of the things, but I've just never, I'll, I've just never going to be the one to, I, to see myself as a victim or to make it become something that I need to be letting it define my cause. So when I would apply for jobs uh, in, in, in the UK, or when I'll go for, I was not even giving you the time. I was not looking at that. I know that prejudice played a role. I know, but I didn't care. Like I was going to keep on and, that had was kind of my attitude that kind of smashed me through walls and smashed yeah. me to get to places in the UK. If you if you don't put that attitude on, it will hold you down. It will hold you back. Let's just quickly, um, Anita, what was like your favorite subject those early days? Oh, okay. So I liked English a lot. I like history. Um and um also I kind of like biology. I wasn't very good on the other one, but I like biology. There were those were like kind of the three. And then as I, I, I cascaded up into secondary, I kind of got into psychology um, and, and as well. Yeah, okay. those are my, my subjects. And that brings me on to my next question, actually. Um, you, you studied psych. I looked at your LinkedIn. I saw a lot of psychology yeah. in there. I'm an organizational um, psychologist, yeah. Okay. Can you tell us, just for some of our listeners, you know, because what we want to do here is to simplify some of these things. Well, what does it mean to be a psychology? And, of course, how did that transition into a, um, a, an HR? You've done HR roles in the past. Yeah. Year. Yeah, so um, when I was planning out kind of my my career, I always knew that I wanted to go into consulting, and in the longer term, if I wanted to to start my own consultancy. So you know, I've always held the view that I was not going to chase money; that money has to chase me, and for money to chase you, meaning that you have a choice as to what work you do, or you know, is that you have to build your skills and you have to build unique skills and experiences that makes that's not common or that um, is in demand or that you know that it's limited. All right, you know, so or, so that was my my strategy. So. Um, I'm a people person. I wanted to work to human resources, um, but I also like psychology, especially um, organizational psychology. So I decided to combine the two because Orgsite gave me the back, you know, so I could I could develop things like systems and processes and and um, tests and assessments and designs of organization. I can do all the back stuff, you know, the technical stuff to. Um, strategy and then the HR gave me the front stuff dealing with the people dealing with the leadership being on the front you know so I kind of got the back and the front um, and that's what I wanted which is not a common skill set that you're going to get with a lot of practitioners so um, I got to 
bring, you know, two subjects that I love together to create unique skills and um, to, to allow me to be able to do the things that I'm able to do now. But, you know, I have to say that I was, you know, I am set, some things came about, but other things I was very quite clear where I was going. Like I thought about my career. I thought about, you know, I had a whole plan. Um, Deborah, you know, when I'm, by the time I'm 25, I have to have done this. By the time I'm 28, you know, I have to have done this. So I didn't really accidentally do the, the studying. That was deliberate. Mm-hmm. You know, I deliberately chose um, the path that I chose because mm-hmm. I knew where I, where I wanted to kind of go to. Okay. Um, with um, a lot of us who work, uh, you know, because of the pandemic and all of that, um, I'm sure that it affected you one way or the other. So um, how have you adjusted to um, this new way of life? I mean, how, what, was it, what was it like for you during the pandemic, the lockdown and post-pandemic? What is, it, what is work like for you? Okay. I guess I've been looking at this with the, with, with, with the glasses on one that looks at the personal side of the impact of the pandemic and then the other one that looks at like your livelihood um, side. And if I start with my personal side, um, it, what the pandemic did was actually ground. It, it kind of grounded me. I had to kind of um, sit back and look at what was happening. I realized that you know, I thought I was doing great in the whole personal home and stuff, but I realized the pandemic, I could do better. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that where I thought I couldn't do certain things like work from home a lot of uh, a lot of the time, I realized I could because obviously we're locked down um, and clients have to, you have to access each other online and we're all just kind of forced mm-hmm. to change the way we've been used to working. So that really helps. So it meant I could spend more time than before because obviously usually it's the weekend or maybe let's say Friday weekends that you get with the family um and obviously as a consultant you're working to deadlines a lot so you're not always having some of the times that you want but the pandemic comes and then you realize oh my god there's a whole different way that I can work and have more time and that's what that that was the the positive impact it also got me to sit and reflect um, and appreciate more because I, I've lost quite a few friends um, and, and family through the pandemic that we take a lot of things for granted that our friends are there, our families are there. So we can go months, you know, months without even sending even a quick WhatsApp message or a call just to check on them because the assumption, oh, they're just there. They were okay. They know I'm okay. Distance isn't a problem. They know I'm still there for them and that kind of things we tell ourselves. And the pandemic made me realize that, yes, that's so, but still you know pick the phone connect with your friends and stuff more and even though they understand still still just make that change that kind of got me got me thinking and got me to change so now I've had to kind of prioritize and see that you know you can cut so many things out I think that's the other thing cut a lot of things out and just kind of focus let the focus be more on the important things yeah. that I, I kind of realized in the panel, these are really important to me, but I was kind of taking it for granted. Um, so that 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 was the, the positive impact it had in terms of uh, my personal life with family, with friends and the home and things like that. Yeah. On the business front, I was completely thrown into a into a into a um, I don't know a hurricane. Um, you know, we we have never experienced this. None of us in in business. Um, we've never. I mean, I had clients freezing contracts, cancelling contracts, 
um, some coming on. It was just chaotic. And you're, and you were just making decisions, um, decisions literally by the minute, by the hour, by the day. They, like, it's just, it was, it was just hectic. Yeah. Um, and you have to manage your, your, your staff. You have to manage your employees. And, um, very quickly you had to decide a, a position where you're going to um, take a selfish approach and, and just kind of just, you know, terminate staff or were you going to, you know, there's just so many things. And I decided that, no, I need to protect, protect investment, but I also need to protect lives. And I also need to save as many jobs as I can. So that now meant, how are you going to do that? And it just kind of totally took me out of my comfort zone. I mean, I always think I'm working out of my comfort zone, but I can tell you that coronavirus showed me another zone that I didn't know. And I had to, I had to adjust. I had to um, adjust as a as a leader, as a as a, um, a consultant to my customers, and it it, it was just it, it was just hell. Um, and then, of course, the turbulence of the survival, which was around about the March, April, May that period last year, was just was just terrible. Yeah. And then as we went on, you 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 just you you just let now you were going by the week, you know, by the week by the and week. stuff and you know, um, you just kept, you know, your bottom line just kept going down and then it'll come up a bit, then you go even more down and it'll come up a little bit and you just kind of had to keep making changes and, and stuff. And really all I had in my mind is that I I, I I had this analogy that it's like I'm a surfer, by the way, but I thought it's like being on surfing and the 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 the, the tide comes and they ride the, the wave, don't they? They ride the wave mm-hmm. and that's where the thrill is. And then sometimes it just comes down. They have to balance on the surfboard. That's how I felt. Like it goes up and then you have to just balance. So my focus became survive, just survive. And I knew that if I survive into 2021, I was going to have a much better um, approach. And, you know, I've been in, in doing this business for like 10 years. I, you know, I have structures. I have, you know, I had to now see just how strong and robust they were um, and it got it got scary guys I'm not gonna sit here I mean you know I'm, I'm I just like to keep it real I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that it didn't get to the point where you were like oh my gosh am I even though I think this is what I want to do am I actually going to survive is the business going to survive what am I going to do with my staff they're going to be unemployed you know you had those moments but um in you can't always say what you're going to do resign or give up you can't so you just kept persevering so for me covid um put me out of into another zone and it kind of built a lot of um tenacity agility that i i i thought i had even more more than i can ever imagine it, it developed skills i didn't know i had i didn't know that my threshold of stress was as high as as i as it could be. Um, and I, I know I'm not one to give up on things very easily, but I, I thought at some I thought I would I would at some point feel like, yeah, I should, I should just pack it in or what. But even when those thoughts would come, there was this drive that no, you can't, this is not an option to think. So it, it just kind of took you, kind of stripped you to your your your, your most vulnerable, and then at the same time, it kind of build you back up again in with more strength, with more um, agility, with more strength to, to carry okay. on. So that's 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 how that's what, that's what's been my experience. It's, yeah. it's, been, um, it's had this negative impact, but it's also had a tremendous positive impact. I like that you know with your response to that question is just very more of how you reacted and just some mm. of the realistic box. I remember when we were all sent to go home, 
I work in tech, so a lot of us who work in tech, we always feel that maybe we're safe, but mm. we're starting to start working from home. I already worked from home anyway, so it didn't matter. Um, Rebecca, did you did you have to make any drastic um, changes as well? Yeah, I did because um, with my job, it was basically um, students coming over to take um, scholarship qualifying exams and all of that. We couldn't flag any students to get the scholarship last year because they couldn't come over to our office to take the scholarship exam. Um, and many other things that we would usually do um, from from um, the comfort of our yeah. office. So from here, yeah, we've done something where, okay, the closest um office to wherever you're applying for a scholarship from you could easily do it from there if you have internet connection but if you don't have internet connection of course um you would have to come to our office but it's big it, more of the things that um we we do has become a hybrid thing so yeah. you can do it online or you can easily come to our office so that's um some decision that um yeah. you know so, a lot of had to make yeah, it's. I think it's changed a lot, and I think it's changed a lot positively as well because now mm. we know the same things that we can do, right? Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, and I'm, and what I do, what we do on here, we want to make it very purposeful in terms of occu, um, um, psych, occupational psychology mm. and um, OML Africa. Just a random question: Would that be one of the first few things the companies might think they want to cut? I was speaking to someone, I interviewed a lady and she does a lot of um, CSR projects. Mm-hmm. And when the pandemic hit, companies were like, well, we don't even know if we're going to be in business. And then, yeah, this carries on. So we definitely will be cutting the budget for the CSR. You know, mm-hmm. tell us a bit more about OML. You know, um, what what do you do specifically? And did, you know, you said accounts were frozen and so on. Like, it would just be nice to learn about a bit more about OML in Africa. OML Africa, okay. sorry. Okay. The first part, yes, you know, in the whole pandemic, you know, there's like four areas that are operating of which workforce, that's the human capital, human resource workers, employees are playing a key role because no organization that is functioning can operate without its people. So people is being part of survival. People is going to be huge in recovery. And I am in the people business. So um, in a a normal sense, you'd have said, well, then it should have been kind of your harvest. But that wasn't the point. The impact was because the supply chain was affected. And then we had these lockdowns and restrictions. So the income of your clients became stagnant or was not happening. So when you were in an industry, like uh, some of my clients in hospitality, aviation, with it, you're grounded they can't work they've been told to stop schools you know have educational clients we're all told in Ghana to that they can't operate so it became a case of how are they going to pay you do you understand they've had to they had to lay off staff and things like that so whilst on one hand you say but that's an opportunity it wasn't it, it wasn't in that instance because people were companies were having to close um, because of the impact, some people, you know, and companies were had to free, had, were having to freeze services because they had to send home um, all of their staff, half of their staff. Do you know what I mean? It was having an impact. So that impact on them, of course, is going to impact us. Yeah. So it's kind of like this whole journey, everything our clients go through, we kind of are experiencing it with them. Yeah. So that's what that's what caused us the impact is because they were affected. All right. Um, 
And then moving on to um, what we do, really, my focus has, um, has always been about achieving through people. So OML is all around helping businesses to align their human capital management to their businesses and achieve through their people. It's all around achieving through people, people's success. So instead of looking at the human resource as some kind of administration office that just kind of shoves paper, we more come in as strategic partners to help them to align it better, to make it work better. So we bring a bit more of the people into it. So maybe a business initially may not really be thinking about things like um, incentives or having um, social activities happening in organization or even having structured policies or structured salary structures or performance. They don't think, oh, well, they're, just, they're coming to work. I pay them. That's it. And we let them understand that these are the things that people use, you understand, um, to determine a lot of things that are happening with them. People are on career journeys. You know, they want to know that, OK, when I'm as I'm working, um, I can I'll be rewarded in this way. My salary will move this way. My all I can move this way. People want to know that you care, you know, what what kinds of other benefits or, or support are you offering? Like it's not just no longer about the psychological contract. So. We work with these businesses um, to help them solve these problems. And usually when companies come to us, that's what they're trying to do, how to better align. And we we work in four areas. So like outsourcing, this is where companies outsource the HR departments for us to run for them because mm-hmm. they don't want they want to just have that expertise or that speed to get things done. Um, and they don't want hiring an HR or they don't have an HR. And then we have the audits. These are all the different types of HR audits, which is looking at compliance to the labor laws, compliance to regulations and so on. Um, and then we have the um, talent, which is looking at um, recruitment, assessments. And that's something that's very important in, in Africa because of the, um, the skills issues that we have. There are some clients that not are not just trying to hire, but they're trying to develop and they want to know where are we on the development chain? So they know where to stand. So assessments and um, skills inventories and things like that. We do quite quite a quite a number of that. And then there's the advisory, which is all around the legal stuff. You know, okay. um, what we, in the UK will probably be the Employment Tribunal. In Ghana, is the National Labour Commission. In other countries, will be a commission or a tribunal or something. Where basically, when you breach the law, that's where you're going to end up. So we advise on a whole load of um, um, issues that come up from disputes to unions um, and down to even um, best practices like performance management systems and stuff. So we have the advisory stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's, that's pretty much what we're doing. That's, that's <laughs> a handful. <laughs> you're, busy, you're a busy woman. You're doing like... A- so it feels like to me you're doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we say that OML, we're the David among the Goliath consultancies. Yeah, yeah we're small, but we're, we're pretty, we're, we, we punch quite, quite above, quite high, yeah. Yeah, it's good, it's good, it's good. Well done. 